everybody welcome to another episode of our mainline podcast this podcast along with all of our other non-news episodes are part of northern provisions llc check out the lethal minds journal a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs art and culture take a look at the journals bulletin from the borderlands a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication for multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more please consider supporting us on patreon patreon.com slash analyze educate ko-fi ko-fi.com slash analyze educate or substack analyze educate.substack.com all those links can be found in the show notes below. Today, I'm joined by Hanan Burstein, and he is one of the founders of Taki Israel, which is an organization that was founded in the aftermath of the October 7th attacks, which of course kicked off the current Israel-Hamas war. And what that organization does is they deliver supplies and different types of equipment to Israeli soldiers that are in need of such equipment. And this could range anywhere from basic toiletries to body armor, tactical uniforms, and tourniquets. There's a lot of need for a lot of different items, as you will hear in the interview. So I'm glad I could have Fanon on to talk about his organization, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview, as I know he does as well. So with that being said, we'll head into it. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Hanan Burstein. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me, Brody. Yeah, thanks for being here. So you uh, founded with a group of other guys, Tahi Israel. So explain to us real quick what that is. So Tahi Israel is an initiative that provides soldiers life-saving equipment on the front lines. And we have raised to date a little over $400,000 since the war started. We've driven 10,000 miles, delivered to 80 bases, and helped around 3,000 soldiers and dodged around 20-plus rockets. So, That's awesome. Yeah, I love how you guys have the rocket counter on the left side. Yeah, small <laughs> <all> flat. <laughs> so uh, before we get into some of the equipment and uh, runs you guys have been able to make, I want to ask a little bit about you, um, your early life and, you know, what drove you to move to Israel? Because you're not originally from Israel. You're from the right. U.S., right? Yeah. So 24 years old, I moved to Israel when I was about 17 years old out of New York. Uh, I grew up you know, Zionist ideology, uh, believing that I should serve my country, obviously still as a dual American, have loyalty to America, obviously, but protecting the Jewish homeland. I'm the youngest of four boys, all my brothers, we all served in the same special forces unit, Sarah Kivati. So, um, you know, it was just a driving factor in my entire life, just pushing for that, going to Israel, protecting my homeland, and, you know, keeping, making sure that a Jewish homeland continues to exist. So when you moved to Israel, you lived in the Golan Heights for a little bit, right? Yeah, beautiful. Um, I lived about I lived up in Keshet, which is also known as Kunetra, if you are speaking Arabic. So it's about uh, two kilometers from the Syrian border. So it's beautiful up there. You know, you got cows, natural springs, waterfalls. Got the Hermon in the background. It's really nothing like it. Fresh air. I that's how life should be. You know, just fresh farm life away from the city no pollution in the air it's it's great yeah it's a, definitely sounds like a change from new york i imagine yeah thank god yeah i mean i grew up in the suburbia but like you know it's the same thing uh but it's a little different at the same time but wouldn't change it 
for anything. You know, I lived there for about two years and it was just a phenomenal experience. So, so I imagine living in the Golan Heights is a, it's a different reality compared to what a lot of other Israelis face. Can you explain to those that don't know what the situation is with the Golan Heights just generally? So in general, because I live so close to uh, Syria, you know, you could really wake up, you know, you smell the war crimes, you hear, you hear, um, you hear rocket, you hear tank fire and just bullets going off because we're so close to Syria and the, you know, the Syrian civil war. Um, it's very different from Israel because you um, like Israel proper in the sense that, you know, you have Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, all those main city areas. And, you know, pop and life, everything's, you know, club life, all that. And then you go up north and not too many lights. Everyone's very laid back. The people don't care about money. They're farmers. Um, it's really just mundane life that's really beautiful. You know, you, the hikes, when you go on hikes up there, there's barbed wire, just saying caution landmines from the Lebanon wars. Um, because they haven't removed them because there's tens of thousands of them that still haven't been removed. So you got to be careful when you're hiking because one misstep and you're dead. But, you know, the scenery is amazing and it's very different. I mean, it's basically taking New York and, you know, just going down to any like nature reserve and just comparing the two in a very interesting way, I'd say. Or, you know, go down to just some rural area in Arizona or just wherever, you know, and comparing it to wherever is the most popular city life that you're familiar with. Yeah, just being out in nature and away from all the bullshit. Yep. And that's that's how it should be. I mean, you know, when we, uh, you know, you can wake up at seven in the morning with your friends, you grab, you know, you make some black coffee, some shakshuka, and you're out on a water hike and, you know, you're back by the afternoon and you go about your day. And that was the reality a lot. Just going around, waking up five, six in the morning, going to a natural hot spring. There's one called Hamata Gader, uh, the Gader Hot Springs. And they were it was actually a Roman bathhouse. So we would sneak in there a lot. The army would uh, you know, would be sectioned off, but we'd play the dumb American card. So we'd do really bad Hebrew impressions and they kind of would just let us go through and they'd be like, ah, stupid Americans, we don't care. And we would just like chill in, in the Roman hot springs because it was it's just really nice. And there was like a paid section that was about like a couple, you know, probably like a kilometer away. We were going to pay for it. We're a bunch of 18 year old kids. When we can go for free, why do it? You know? So like that was very much the reality, jumping off waterfalls, just really just take it in nature for what it is. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds awesome, man. Yeah. So uh, did you join the IDF as soon as you turned 18? So no, I, uh, I worked on a kibbutz actually first um, out in, um, Wow, I'm blanking on it. It's called Staliao. I worked in an organic garden, you know, really like giving back to the land was something I wanted to do. So I did that for about six months and worked on my Hebrew. And then I uh, lived on a kibbutz, a different kibbutz called Kibbutz Lavi as a lone soldier. Lone soldier meaning that my family lived in America. So I didn't really have anyone, any support network besides my brothers. So I got a host family and they were very welcoming and I'm still in connection with them today. I drafted when I was 20 years old. So, you know, they were amazing people. And that's right by the um Kinneret. It's uh what's it called? Whatever. I forget the name of the the English, the English name for it. But uh in it's it's near Tiberius. So uh, I drafted the IDF when I was around 20, got out around 22, and then I uh started university and I'm finishing up my final year now.
Okay. What are you doing and uh, what's your degree in? So I study um, government, but I, uh, I work in cybersecurity. So I do uh, red teaming, stuff like that. Um, and, but, you know, I do, I'm very passionate about government politics in general and combining it, the intersectionality between cybersecurity and government. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure that's uh they need more of that for sure. Yeah. So, uh, remind me again, which unit did you serve in when you were, when you were in? I served in, uh, Givati. Um, it's the one with the purple beret. Yeah. It's the uh, infantry brigade, right? Yeah. Infantry brigade. And, um, you know, not, not, we're nothing like the American military. I mean, my brothers used to call me soft because they, they slept in tents on base until 2015 and I drafted 2019. So they never said that I had a real service because, you know, I actually had warmth. <laughs> so I guess they'll have me over, have that over on me forever. <laughs> um, What was going on during the time? So really, Nothing crazy. I mean, you have the Janine op, which has been constant. Um, you know, it's constant, you know, prepare for war with Hezbollah, prepare for war with Hamas. That should be ingrained in you. But it was, it was, it, everyone's been saying that the, the constant repetition was, oh, they've been saying this since, you know, 2012, since the last war, you know, it will be a small operation if anything happens. And, and that was the reality really up until recent. I mean, the Janine op is obviously, you know, it's covered not so extensively because a lot of the things are covert, but, you know, it's a constant firefight out there. But to date now, really the only people left in Janine, everyone's left Janine to go to East Jerusalem or Hebron, like all the, the women and children. It's mostly just, you know, Hamas or PIJ or Fatah out there. So that's that's currently the situation over there. So it's just constant firefights over there. So you don't really get much coverage over there, but that's that's usually what we were focusing on. It's constant Janine fights, you know, getting brand new washing machines dropped on your armored vehicle. And your thought is, <laughs> I'm a broke 20 year old. I could have used this washing machine, you know, or like getting a goat dropped on your on your on your vehicle. Like I would have eaten that. Like you don't, you don't have to waste it. But that that that's the reality of what would happen. You know, you go in an armored car and then just throw in whatever they can. So, yeah, <laughs> it's shitty use of a washing machine, but yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so so let's uh talk about what's basically what happened with october 7th and what drove you guys to to start this organization right so after everyone knows more or less the october 7th start story you know hamas infiltrates into israel i do want to say that uh the kibbutzim that they infiltrated into it in into israel were ones who were very much pro-peace they were very much pro living alongside the Palestinians and, you know, it kind of came back to bite them in the ass. And I think that's a, a narrative that's very much overlooked. You know, they, these people on these kibbutzim were very much on the left, left wing. Like they, they were very much in support of total two state solution, you know, giving back land, whatever it takes for peace. You know, they, they had, they had uh, Palestinian workers coming in from Gaza to work in their in their kibbutzim and ironically that was th those are the people that mapped out who's home when here's who has a gun in their house these are the people you have to take out you know the 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 people they trusted you know got them killed and that's like kibbutzberry and, and some of the yeah. other places right yeah very much kibbutzberry uh, that's what people overlooked that those people were so pro-palestinian that it wasn't even funny and it's unfortunate you know that's that's the reality of the situation but going back to 
October 7th, we saw that, you know, as former combat soldiers, we understand how IDF logistics work. We know what really needed to be done. And we weren't happy with how the IDF dealt with logistics overall. I mean, I'm sure it goes for every military that they're unhappy with how things are done. And everyone, you know, has that mindset that if my brain was in everyone else's head. Everything would be a thousand times more efficient. So we stepped up. We started driving up north, down south, running donations out of Venmo, raised like thirty, fifty thousand dollars on Venmo. But we wanted to start raking in. By raking in, I mean we we don't take any cuts. Like I'm down around five thousand dollars myself. We're a hundred percent volunteer, nonprofit. You know, tax deductible, five hundred one c. So we wanted to get those bigger donors and you know show them what we were doing. So we were filming content and we were showing what was going on, filming us dodging rockets. And that was very much the reality, you know, going for the first couple of weeks, you could go about 135 miles an hour on the highway and police cars were passing you because it was just you and police. Nobody was out because everybody else was in the bomb shelter because we were in constant rocket fire. We're the only ones out there personally delivering gear to bases. Uh, there's one situation where my friend and I, we were doing a, a drive up north. We were about a kilometer from the Lebanon border. And we're about 10 minutes from the base, but we're about three and a half hours from our start point. And we get a notification on our phone saying there's a suspected air infiltration from Lebanon. And the second that happens, we get a call from the battalion commander saying, jump out of your car right now, rockets are coming. So we jump out of the car and a couple hundred feet in front of us, rocket explosion, right? And we're about 10 minutes away from the base. And we have a bunch of kit bags, you know, G-Shocks, Leathermans, um, tactical uniforms, medical equipment, food, some helmets. And we, we're like, we're not giving up. You know, we, we have, we're 15 minutes away from the, from the point we need to be at. So we drive some more air sirens, but we're, 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 we're punching it, right? More rockets explode near us. We get to the base. They're screaming, get the hell out of here. Hezbollah's coming down in the air, like what happened on October 7th with Hamas, with the paragliders. And we're freaking out because that's what's suspected. We're a kilometer from the border. So we throw the kit bags at the uh, the gate to the base, cock our gun, right? We got 60, we got 60 bullets and a water bottle, 40 ounces filled with water, trying to take on Hezbollah, right? A bunch of stupid 24-year-olds thinking this is, <laughs> this is we're the first line of defense right now. So we we get into a kibbutz, um, a, a moshav up there, because my uh, friend calls his uh, also a host mom. Um, saying we need to get into a Moshav because we got to get into a bomb shelter. So we pull in, you know, we're screaming some name, right? And we think it's the name of a person, but it's really just some restaurant. And they look at us like we're crazy. But we pull in, we pull up to the bomb shelter and the guy pulls a gun on us, right? Because who are these two kids? There's sirens going off. They think, and we're screaming, no, 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 no. We're just trying to get in the bomb shelter. So, you know, we, we, we eventually get out of there, out of the bomb shelter. They let us in. And we're driving down this road, and there's really only one road that connects north of north of Israel, the rest of Israel proper, and it's a snake path for about 20 minutes. And there's a white pickup truck in front of us, blaring lights. So we kill our lights because you know the, the pickup trucks in that Hamas used. We assume this is it. This was the infiltration. And we're slowly following them. My friend, you know, you know, safety's off, ready to pull the trigger. Um, and we're slowly following them. 
for about 10 minutes, adrenaline pumping. And uh, thank God, you know, it wasn't, it was just a security vehicle, but it was the longest 10 minutes of my life, but the wildest adrenaline rush ever. So since then we only do drives during the day. That was about seven, eight o'clock at night because it's really unsafe up in the North. You know, you have soldiers pointing guns at the roads because they're trying to see if Hezbollah is coming down from mountaintops and no safeties are on, you know, helicopters flying back and forth. It's an absolute war zone. Everyone's talking about Khan Yunish um, and Jabalia and everywhere, but the real war front is up North. Yeah. Well, you know, since we're already talking about that, can you just generally describe like what the situation is up there and, and so, why so much attention is being paid to Hezbollah? So Hezbollah is the largest paramilitary in the world. People need to understand that. This isn't this isn't Hamas. You know, they're trained. They have they're battle hardened veterans. You know, they're they they're a proxy of Iran. And and as a result of that, there needs to be proper attention to detail. You know, they're testing art. It's a game of cat and mouse right now. People are probably wondering, why isn't Hezbollah attacked, right? Why isn't Israel attacked? And the reality of that is very simple. Israel is taking this phase by phase. This isn't 67. This isn't 73. Israel isn't trying to fight a war on five or six fronts at a time. They're trying to take one front out at a time, right? They're operating in well, the West Bank right now, and they're operating in Gaza while monitoring everything else up north. So it's tit for tat, but Hezbollah is taking points of this is how fast you know, it took for a rocket to be intercepted. This is that. And Israel's also taking point of that. So, you know, the front, it, people think, oh, when is, when is Hezbollah, when are they going to go to, are they going to go to war? It's not a if, it's a when. You know, it's now or it's in 10 years and it's already heated up to this point. It's boiling over. It's just when this next phase finishes, there's four phases overall. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if phase three is, is Hezbollah or phase four is Hezbollah, it's coming. It's you could correct me if I'm wrong, but it's been my understanding that there's always uh, there's always been this feeling among like is the Israeli military and like the general security establishment that like at some point there will be like another legit conventional war with Hezbollah. And that that will be like the determining conflict, like one side is going to come out of that and one side is going to lose and that like that will be it one last war to fight it out. 100%. I mean, our prime ministers have gone on record saying the next time Hezbollah really attacks us, we're bombing Lebanon back to the Stone Age. You can look it up. It's a direct quote from, from Netanyahu. They're not messing around. You know, they're real paramilitary. They have real missiles that travel hundreds of miles, you know, ballistic. You know, these, these, they're, they're no one to play around with, right? Yeah. Hamas and they have a lot of combat experience. Exactly. Yemen, Sudan, they got Syria. Everything. They're, they, it, it, some of them are more battle-hardened than some Israeli vets. I mean, we have 360,000 reservists, but these guys, they, they know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, and, a lot of these guys, you know, fought against ISIS in Syria yeah. and, and rebel forces, too, and, and other Islamist forces that right. they don't side with. But, yeah, a lot of combat experience to go around, for sure. And that's a genuine concern. And people need to realize that they think if they think the Hamas war is bad, they haven't seen nothing yet. This is This is... This is kids in the sandbox kicking around dirt. That's the real war because that's going to bring in other people. You know, that's going to bring in, it's going to become a war on all fronts and there's going to get a lot of countries involved, a lot of countries. And I don't think people are prepared for that. People need to really wake up and smell the coffee because this is what's brewing. 
And that's the reality that this is gonna this is gonna explode. And people are afraid to talk about it, but that's that's the reality. Yeah, well, you know, even even for us when this thing uh kicked off in on October 7th, you know, and it was immediately clear that the IDF would have to go into Gaza. I mean, you just you have to, right? Yeah. That's obvious to everybody. Um, you know, the US military sent two carrier strike groups and a marine expeditionary unit just for that. You know, and we've kind of pulled slowly pulled some of those forces back or, you know, redeployed them to other places. But, you know, if and when something kicks off with Hezbollah, I mean that like you said, that will get a lot of people involved. Obviously, the UN has forces there which don't do a whole hell of a lot, but they're you know, they'll be right in the middle of that. I have to imagine that our military will deploy a lot of assets to the air, area, if anything, for crisis response. Um, I'm sure the French and, and other countries as well. Yeah, French, British. I'm saying that the, the the U.S. carriers are currently the only deterrent that it wasn't a uh, a war on all fronts. That's that's really what's going on. I mean, the U.N. is really, you know what they stand for, the United Nothings. They don't really do much, right? Uh, they're as useful as the Red Cross. Um, just, you know, just complicit in all the war crimes. But, and then at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's going to really take off and... Um, I, I'm a firm believer that it was, it was heating up very quick. And I think that's, that's really why the U S sent out, you know, flight carriers and the, and the naval fleets, because at the end of the day, I mean, you had Delta force out in Gaza. I don't know if a lot of people know about this. You had Delta force operating in Gaza in Shifa, yeah. you know? Um, and then, uh, I think, I think, uh, I don't know if you saw the picture that, uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> Way to go, Biden. Genius. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw that. I'm like, he is really dumb. That is very impressive. But yeah, that, that that's the reality. I mean, you know, um, I don't, not a lot of people know this, but the U.S. has a lot of secret military bases based out in here in Israel. So they're already soldiers that have always been on the ground. You know, I mean, from my experience also in, in the military, you know, training with Rangers and, you know, the Green Berets and all those guys. There's also a lot of guys just operating that just take food from Israeli bases <laughs> and they uh, and they're, they're already operating. There's a couple thousand guys out here already in the American military. Um, so they, they have that. It's just people don't know about that. Yeah, I definitely uh, it would not surprise me one bit. So how, how much. Uh, if you had to give a ratio, how, how many of your missions do you think you guys do up in the north as opposed to uh, in the south, like around Gaza? So from personal experience, um, basically my, my unit, Givati, we, 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 special, we specialize in desert warfare. The units that really specialize in the north are Golani, Sayeret Golani, Egoz, uh, which is the commando unit of uh, Golani, which are trained for Hezbollah. And then you have the, the Alpinists, which are the coolest, arguably the coolest guys. They they literally just carry Uzis on skis and it's it's crazy. They just ski around and they and they they, they do that. So, you know, when it when they have to make that shift, it's going to be a dramatic shift. But how Israel works is there's guys that are trained solely for the West Bank, which is the Kfir unit. Then there's the you know Givati, um, the paratrooper brigade. You have um, you know combat engineers, all those guys. But everyone has a specialty. Right, Givati specialized in desert warfare. Back in the early two thousands, we were actually we had a, we had our own commando unit as opposed to a special forces unit, which operated in the Sinai and whatnot, called Ramon. It was you know decommissioned because there's no need for it anymore. But Golani and those guys, whose uh, uh, symbol is signia is like a tree, those guys are really up there in the north. Those those are the ones who are really up in the shit. 
Okay. And how much would you say that uh, Taffy like operates in the north as opposed to the south? Um, we when there's a need for it, we're we're there. Um, we're, we're currently working on bringing a bunch of night vision goggles over that um, for a unit up north. But we're shifting our focus to the north because we are generally concerned about the northern front. And as a result of that, we feel that as the the Gaza op comes to an end within the next month and a half or so, that we that we think within month and a half, two months. Everything's got to shift up north, so we're already on top of that. We don't we don't like to be reactive. We like to be proactive. So we're shifting our supply line to the north, getting in touch with battalions in the north because what we do different than other people is you know people usually just worry about people and their family and whatnot, and you know people can't afford anything, then they they're they're screwed. So we don't believe in getting one soldier or something. We believe in decking out a battalion stuff. So we'll get 50 tactical uniforms. We'll get 50 pairs of knee pads, 50 camelbacks, 50 tactical helmets, 50 bulletproof plates for a Pluga, Pluga, sorry, battalion. And we'll move on from there. We don't believe- Yeah, if you, if you give one guy an IFAC, it's not really going to do shit. Exactly. You need to give it to the whole unit. Exactly. And that's that's also something we do. IFACs, the Israeli army does not issue IFACs. They, they issue Israeli bandages and- tourniquets that's it so we're trying to make that shift to actually save soldiers lives we believe in giving life-saving essential gear to soldiers um you know we're getting winter gear because soldiers are literally digging trenches to stay warm so we're giving them soft shells tactical uniforms and ifax that's really what we're, we're trying to get up north because that's really what's going to keep these soldiers safe from hypothermia as it's the winter and keep them safe from bullet fire with the ifax yeah, I, I really want to harp on the IFACs. For those that don't know, it's an individual first aid kit, right? It's the acronym. Um, and it's it's exactly what it sounds like. It's pretty self-explanatory. You know, you got, you know, bandages and other uh, stuff that somebody that's like minimally trained for combat first aid would would be able to use and know how to use. Um, and if you've been in the U.S. military, like you probably had one issue to you at one point or you have at least like seen one and kind of like open it up to see what's in there. The fact that Israel does not issue those out is crazy to me. Yep, and it's and it's absurd, and that's why we're trying to make a positive change in the IDF. Because as former soldiers ourselves, we see what the U.S. military does. You know, most of Israel's surplus is uh, comes directly from the U.S. military. So we're trying to make a proactive change that we get these IFACs out there. And in the U.S. military, they issue four IFACs per soldier. We're just trying to issue one. Because also something that's interesting about the U.S., uh, the Israeli military, correct me um, if I'm wrong about this, at least for the U.S. military, if you get shot, your friend can't use your um, his tourniquet on you. Yeah, right? he's got to use yours. Yeah, he's got to use yours. And um, you can't and you can't use yours on your friend. Right. So correct, yeah. that's, that's why we're trying to get these IFACs out there. But, you know, there's people that have been trying to sell fake IFACs. You know, and 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 a cat seven costs about forty dollars retail. We're seeing we're seeing fake IFACs go for about thirty bucks. And again, that that it leads into our issue of another issue that we really encountered is fake plates, people sending the incorrect equipment. People were selling sending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of airsoft equipment to Israel because they don't know what's going on. I mean, you have a bunch of Jewish moms in suburbia sending whatever they can because they don't know anything. Right. And everyone's trying to help, and it's great. But leave it to the people that know what they're doing. Yeah, God bless them, but they're sending shit that isn't going to yeah, work. They're sending shit. At least give the money to the people that actually know what they're doing, right? And and that's an issue we're trying to tackle. I mean, we also have 
fake plates with fake specs, people claiming NIJ affiliated plates oh. and, and helmets. And you see it and it's plastered there and people go NIJ affiliated. These are buzzwords for people. They just discovered what the NIJ was in the past month. <laughs> so they don't know anything. They, these people don't know anything. If you hit them with a stop sign of, 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 of facts with NIJ certified related items, they wouldn't know what's going on. And, and that's the reality. And, and we're trying to, we stand in the way of fake gear and only providing the upper echelon of gear for these soldiers. And, and we pride ourselves on this, on this fact that we're giving them life-saving essential equipment because we know that who's going to care about our soldiers besides for former soldiers that actually, A, don't want to make a penny off this war because we care about the homeland. And we care about people saving their lives because we were in their shoes. Yeah. You know, can you imagine getting shot and all you have is a tourniquet? You don't have a combat bandage. You don't have, you don't have anything. You got a tourniquet. And if your tourniquet snaps, you're screwed because it's the medic coming to you. But if you have your whole battalion go down, what's going on? You're all, you're all good as dead. And that's why we're issuing the IFACs. So it's it's a slow deployment, but we're we're trying to we're trying to get a couple thousand out. We have our first, we have about 150, 200 out right now. And we're gonna keep pumping those numbers up so we can keep supplying them up north. Now, is there is there any effort to your knowledge to train these guys on IFACs? So that's actually something that we're trying to do, right? We're trying to we're trying to make waves and ripples in the IDF that when they see this stuff in use. They're going to ask that soldiers are going to demand that this is used constantly and it's going to make a shift for the IDF. I mean, you know, after 9 11, there were so many changes in the US military from um, the, the uniforms that were used and, and Nomex with the DOD content coming out and saying, why aren't you guys in uniform? And I'm sure you know the story. Um, and as a result of that, that's what we're trying to do. We want Sahi to kind of issue that change. So, the IDF wakes up, smells the coffee, goes, this is what we really need to do. We need to, we need to rethink our military strategy. You know, the, the time for games is over. You know, we've been playing cat and mouse with Hezbollah since the 70s, you know, and, and that's that's that. And the Hamas, I mean, we had, they, they knew about the attack. Yeah. They just didn't believe it was going to happen, you know, and, and that's the reality. You know, they underestimated our foe and it cost us dearly. Yeah, you know, it's uh, harping on first aid stuff. Um, when I was in, it it took me a while to remember the. There's like a first aid uh, acronym that we use by, and that's like it generally, you know, how you go through the processes if somebody gets yeah. wounded. We call it P March P. I don't know if the army calls it something else, whatever. Uh, but it's this acronym that you'd use and that's how you know to do the process and it took me like it took me a while to get that like longer than my peers and I like did not have a good time because of it you know and that's my fault but that's I'm just saying that to show that like it, it's something we got trained on a lot um, because we knew we might have to use it right it's just like combat first aid like everybody needs to be trained on that even if you weren't infantry you you at least probably got a couple classes and maybe you remembered a couple things but that's you know better than nothing um mm -hmm. it, it's absolutely crucial to for everybody to get trained in that and you know hopefully you guys are are able to gradually make that change in the idf yeah. hopefully i mean because we're only trained on israeli bandage and a tourniquet and and that's that's just regular infantry. Medics go off to medics course, right? And they're the ones who are leading the front. And you have, you know, you have like three, four medics in a battalion. So, um, yeah. And if your medic gets killed, you're, you need to be able to step up. 
exactly. And that's why the IFAC is so essential. And that's why we're trying to bring it out there because that's that's the reality that there needs to be changes. And we're trying to be on the forefront of that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I want to go back to this issue of plates. So for those that don't know, I'm sure my dad's going to ask me because he doesn't know like about any of this shit. But he's going, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> so it's, a, it's, you know, it's a body armor, right? You put it in your vest, these armor plates, and they're supposed to stop bullets, right? Different, you know, levels stop different, you know, sorts of rounds. So the NIJ is like uh, the national institute that like certifies the protection level of armored plates you have like level four that stops you know like these very like high powered right like actually high powered rifle rounds not like five five six you know but like you know 30 odd six and stuff like that yeah Yeah, you have like level three plus which stops like some rifle rounds and level three it's like pistol and you know so on and so forth but um before we recorded you kind of mentioned to me that like people were selling like level three plates which stops like some pistol rounds and they were like trying to pass them off as three plus which like it's supposed to stop like an ak round right like 762 by 39 yeah four four is supposed to stop uh level four is supposed to stop armor piercing and then you have five five six and seven six twos but yeah this is this is just there's so many times because we we're growing so much we get people saying hey you know we see we have a catalog with our supplier that we um, that we send out to people in case they want to, in case we don't have the amount the amount to donate, people can purchase directly through our supplier and we will then deliver it to whatever base or whatever location needs to go for soldiers. You know, we're also a delivery service. Okay. So, can that be found on your website real quick? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, the uh, the procurement catalog? The catalog, yeah. yeah. Okay. But most of our, most of our, our I'm not going to lie, our website's kind of, you know, wonky. kind of looks like it was built in the 90s. But our Instagram is where it's really popping off. Um, we're gonna make a lot of edits. Again, we're we're very we're we're nonprofit. We're transparent. We haven't even you know everyone's done everything volunteer from our graphic designer to our video editors to the person who even built our website. So, because we believe in putting all the money into into the soldiers. So, do bear with us with when you uh, check out our website. It's 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 bad. I'm not gonna lie. It's not professional. But our Instagram is a different story. <laughs> Um, but going back to the, the topic of fake plates and fake helmets. Yeah, this is, we, we have, you have fake stuff, people saying Marom dolphin, which if people aren't familiar, the Israeli standard, which is extremely low for vests is Agilite and Marom dolphin. And they're absolutely terrible when you compare it to what the U S military receives. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I am. That's funny. Much- I see a lot of people here, like hyping Agilite. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. Uh, you know, I, no, I, just, I appreciate I'm, the honesty. That's good to know. Yeah, it's uh, you know, our we get like London Bridge trading way better. Um LBT has a good reputation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. And people are going, oh, well, this is certified by Marom Dolphin. I'm like, last I checked, Marom Dolphin isn't the National Institute of Justice where they can issue uh these certifications. And a lot of issues that people are facing are they're saying, oh, well, we can't get Israeli certification. But Israeli certification is actually extremely low because it doesn't test for heat, drop, or cold resistance, right? The NIJ does. So people are just, you know, faking, faking NIJ certification. And you any any person can access the NIJ website and type in whatever, you know, plate carrier this is. And they'll see that it's, you know, it's not there. People will be claiming it. You get NIJ affiliates. I've gotten up up till now, I've seen around over 20,000 plates with requests up to millions of dollars, just, you know, collectively 
of fake gear. And, and there have been people that have bought this stuff for soldiers. And there are videos of these Chinese plates, some people call it Chineseium, and they, and, and they just get shot right through. We have, we actually have proof of a, one of our plates that we've delivered stopping, a, a stopping a 762. And, you know, it's a great feeling to know that you're, you're, you're not only protecting a soldier. When you think about a soldier, you also think it's their family, it's their friends. So the impact that you have isn't just on one individual person. You're affecting a whole, you know, a whole amount of people. And that's, that's a great feeling. And that's what, that's what we, that's what gets us up. And that's why I grind like 15 hours a day because I care about my fellow man, you know, and that's, that's, that's what we do. That's why we do what we do. And, you know, I, I wish it didn't have to start because of this, but at this point I wouldn't change anything about what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that 100%. We've talked a lot about IFACs and um, plates and, I imagine those along with like MVGs are kind of your guys like bread and butter, but what other sorts of equipment do you provide? So we provide tactical uniforms. We provide knee pads. Um, for those who aren't familiar, the knee pads that the Israeli army normally give are RoboCop and they're really bad. I don't know. We, we're trying to switch into 511. Everything the IDF gives is kind of shit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm very against it as a former soldier. Um, you know, the last people were like, don't shit on the IDF. I'm like, I'm going to shit on that. I mean, like, like I'm going to, I'm going to call it how it is, you know, like we're, we're it's kind of a laughing stock at this point and we're trying to make that change. So hopefully in a few years, it's not going to be that way. But in the start, we were doing portable chargers, hygienic supplies, tactical gloves. Um, we were buying actually in Israel, but so was everybody else. So watches, stuff like that sold out. So then we had to find a supplier in America that we trust and we work with and we love, we have a great relationship that's evolved past just a business relationship. And I'm very thankful for that every day. And basically now, now we get everything. I mean, we custom built with them the IFACs, you know, um, we'll get plates, helmets, um, soft shell jackets, um, shoot boots, loas usually. Um, anything, if there's a need for it that soldiers are asking, we'll try to get it. But a lot of soldiers request things that they aren't trained on. So if there's some requests for night vision and they don't know how to use it, that's great. I don't care if you give me $14,000, you don't know how to use a $14,000 pair of PVS 31s. Yeah. You know, it's a waste of money, but I'll gladly get you and your, your battalion comfortable shoes, tactile uniforms that are fire resistant, water, um, water resistant and chemical proof, you know, and we're, we're trying to focus on the essentials. We also do leather multi-tools, which is important camelbacks that molly to the vest because hydration is essential tactical unit we said tactical uniforms <laughs> but um baby powder number one critical we were thinking of shifting over to the mres um also um for the the northern front because um if anyone has ever looked up what an israeli mre is it's disgusting um it comes in a cardboard box and it's just cans of like beans and pineapple and and um it's it's gross i wouldn't recommend i wouldn't give it to a prisoner but <laughs> But yeah, you know, the, we try to focus on the essentials where we put ourselves in the shoes of where we were and how we would and what we want to get to soldiers. So, you know, earplugs, um, ballistic glasses, uh, scopes, whatever, whatever. If there's a request for things, we want to we want to fill that need and keep our soldiers alive. But at the current point in time, one of the most things what we're pushing for is the soft shell jackets that are waterproof, tactical uniforms, the IFACs 
quality boots, camelbacks, multi-tools, stuff that's life-saving. And also, you know, we, we, we dip into plates because, you know, that will protect lives. And, you know, some people want to, want to steer away from that because, you know, it can get a little, well, you know, you might be pulling the trigger there by, you know, giving plates, but that's still protecting someone's life. So, you know, that's, that's what we kind of focus on. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if there are people out there that are like getting hit with fake plates and, and if they had a real plate, it would have stopped a rifle round. I mean, you kind of yep, feel you like you have to get involved. Yeah, we do because, you know, we stand in the way of fake plates. Uh, the amount of times I tell people, this is fake. I want to know who this person is. And, and often there's, they're, they're big names. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to out anyone because, you know, I, I'm 24. I don't got a lot. I don't have a lot of money to uh, fight def defamation lawsuits. But you know there are big names out there that are that are that are selling these plates and trying to make a buck off someone. It's it's blood money, it's it's blood money. They're they're making a profit off of someone's life, and because of their reputation, these individuals are able to get away with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, fake fake equipment and gear in general is just like very prevalent. Even talking about like tourniquets, I mean, you have like these cheap Chinese tourniquets that like you know break before you can even use them. It's yep. yeah, you you need to be careful with, with what you buy for sure. Yeah, and, and yeah. you you get what you pay for. So if you buy Honestly. something cheap, it's probably going to be shit. That's just a reality. Yep, and we believe in quality, not quantity. You know, we'll gladly pour ten thousand more dollars if needed, if it gets us less, because we don't want to buy fake equipment and then have the fact and have the knowledge that because we cheaped out, soldiers are dead because of us. And that doesn't sit right with me, and that shouldn't sit right with anyone. But unfortunately, it does. What's uh what kind of support do you guys get from the IDF or the government, if if anything? Zero. Because you know how it is. Why do why do why does a 24-year-old and 26-year-old know better than us? Yeah. Right? Of course. You know, it's ego. They don't they don't they may know about us, but they, you know, we we, we haven't really operated so closely with them. But as we move into bigger things, they're definitely gonna be knocking on our door, you know, giving us some some uh conversations and whatnot um but the mod overall you know they're they're, they're kind of tight-lipped about how they operate but that's because again i understand it from one point that there's so much fake equipment coming in that they're they're stopping everything thankfully we don't have that issue because our stuff is legit but you know most of our most of our support really comes from our instagram we have a bunch of influencers that you know, collaborate on our posts and share our stuff. And, you know, just, just alone since December 7th, there's this one phenomenal influencer named Joan of Judea. She, she helped us raise $107,000 since December 7th. You that's know, awesome. that's, that's crazy, you know, and, and, and that was going, that's going straight towards night vision goggles. You know, we had a whole campaign for night vision for a whole battalion up North, which is about a kilometer from, 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 uh, Hezbollah. And they, they desperately need that. And that's what we're doing. And people are like, you guys can't, are you guys going to drive up there? And we're like, fuck yeah, we're going to drive up there. This is our thing. Have you seen our merch? We dodge rockets. This, this is our shtick. <laughs> what does, uh, what, what does the ordering process look like? I mean, do guys just kind of like hit you up over Instagram or? So, so yeah, Instagram's the easiest way to reach us. I'm usually operating it. So I respond, you know, I'm working 15 hours a day. People shoot me, shoot us a message. I'll respond. We got a LinkedIn. We just kind of post our interviews and all that kind of stuff too, which my founder operates, Sammy, he operates that. I deal with the Instagram. If they get our numbers, 
you know, I'll deal with people over WhatsApp, but that's less easy because I get flooded with like 30, 40 messages a day. So I try to answer them, but Instagram is the easiest way to reach us. If people need help for their battalions. We don't focus on individual soldiers. And I really, you know, I really try to, you know, preface that because we focus on getting battalions gear, right? We're not going to help out just one soldier. We believe in helping out a whole battalion. We're not going to help out one. We'll help out 10. We're not going to, if we don't help out 10, we'll help out 20, 30, 40, you know, cause that's, that's, that's how we believe that we should be operating. One soldier is great, but what about everyone else? Why should one soldier have quality gear when it should be a whole battalion? Why is one person's life worth more than the other? It's not. Everyone should be on equal playing field. And to us, everyone everyone is on the same field. So when we can operate and give them the correct gear, we'll get it to them. You know? And right now we're focusing on the Northern Ops. So most of our most of our gear, which we purchase, is being moved to the North because of our suspicion of the, as we said, not the if, but the when with, with Hezbollah. So, um, you know, we're focusing on the North. Yeah, so what, what, um, where do you see Taki in, in, let's say, the next year? So I'd say as we grow, thank God, you know, we're growing. Um, our goal at the end of the day, we, our name stands for in Hebrew, it's, which is, um, residential emergency squads. And our plan is to fund and upgrade surveillance apparatus for residential emergency teams throughout um, settlements and um, throughout all of Israel, because so 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 people don't have to wait on the on the military for a response, which happened on October seventh, which took three four hours for them to fully get down there. We want and individuals who are all obviously res reservists and have been in the military to have the necessary equipment to operate in case of a terror attack. So that's 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 our goal after the war. As we continue to grow, we hope to really just deck out 100,000 soldiers with the necessary equipment possible. You know, um, the more donations we get, the more we're able to supply soldiers. We don't take a paycheck. As I said, my, my founder and I, we're about, we're about 10K in the hole personally. You know, we're, we're a bunch of university students, so that's a lot of money for us. Uh, you know, it's not really like we have a job. Our job is like, you know, our job is Sahi and we don't make any money. We just do it because we love our nation and that's why we do it. So that's what that's where we see ourselves, continuing to grow, saving soldiers' lives and, you know, doing our best to ensure that. How do you think um, the events of October 7th and what's going on right now changed Israel? I think it was a wake-up call to a lot of people, especially on the left, it, um, you know, kibbutz, as I mentioned, kibbutz Barry was a very left-wing kibbutz. They supported the cohabitation of individuals. I think it, it showed that, you know, you have all these hostages that are coming out and saying, there's no innocent people there. The, the people, people think it was just Hamas that kidnapped uh, individuals, people, citizens, I say that in quotation marks, they come, they came in and they, 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 they snatched people and they're being held hostage in their homes. I mean, 75% of Gaza themselves supports Hamas with 10% being neutral on it. I think it's it's a wake-up call to, you know, our deal with Saudi, which was promoting normalization. But I think that's very, very far out. It needs to be a complete restructuring from a foreign government, if not Israel. I mean, 
you know, it's people claim that Israel occupies Gaza, but we never did. But now we're probably going to occupy it um, due to that, due to the situation of, you know, fearing for more October 7th. I mean, you know, Hamas has come out and said time and time again, this was the first of many October 7th. You had people praising it as their greatest day of all time. And it's disgusting. I mean, you know, the concept that a, that you would rape a 12-year-old girl and then put a grenade up inside of her is disgusting. And and a lot of the, the Jewish burial process is, is very uh, complicated, but a lot of the bodies hadn't haven't been buried because they're still trying to figure out ways to, you know, remove gun parts or grenades. And people go, well, this is propaganda. Show me the footage. I'm, are you sick? Do you want to see a 12 year old's destroyed pelvis? You know, like that's, that's, that's the reality of what we're fighting. We're fighting these, this false propaganda of, well, you know, no picks, no proof, you know? And I think it going back to the original question, it's 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 changing Israel for the for for the better and for the worse. I think they should start by banning pickup trucks. My own personal opinion, I think they're they're I don't I don't think they look good, especially the white ones. Um, and security is going to be beefed up. I think I just know you know the, there has always been a real disconnect between the ultra-Orthodox Jews and serving in the military. And now you have an influx of Jews wanting to serve, Jews coming from abroad wanting to serve. It's it's pushing a more right-wing um, country, but right-wing in the sense of security. Um, I think there's a lot of animosity now more than ever um, towards Palestinians. And I don't think that's going to shift. And I think people need to wake up and realize that. And it's 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 sad and it's unfortunate, but um, you know when a couple about a year and a half ago there were there's there's around two million Arabs that lived in um, in Israel proper, and you know they they're in Parliament, you know they they have you know freedom to roam around because they're citizens and it's not an apartheid uh, like South Africa, but you know there was there was riots a year and a half ago when uh, the last. Um, you know, guarding the walls came out and there were riots in the Arab cities. But we're not really seeing that now because I'm a firm believer that they, they've they recognized that the demon is Hamas. They're the reason everyone is in this situation. The only people to blame for what's going on is Hamas. They put the Palestinian people in this, in this situation. So, you know, they get billions of dollars a year for what they should be using for their schools and their infrastructure, and they're putting it into terror tunnels. And as a result of that, the IQ drops and people are suffering. And that's what leads to more terrorists. You know, people trying to make money. They they the they get paid to commit terror attacks and then their families are sponsored. I think it, it will require a full re-education of the children in in uh in Gaza from a foreign entity. I think that it will look terrible if Israel goes about doing that. And that's that's my opinion on the situation. Now that we're kind of on this general topic, from my understanding, you visited uh, Kibbutz Beri and, and the place where the Nova Festival was held a little bit after the massacres happened there. And again, I, you know, like I told you before we started recording, you don't have to an answer anything you don't want to. Um, you know, if you're uncomfortable, just, you know, tell me now. Um, but what are, what, are the, what was it like? 
going to those places? Oh, what what was the feeling? Yeah, I'm perfectly comfortable answering it. It's very somber. It kind of makes you feel like you're in a state of limbo. So the difference between the Nova Festival Massacre site, and I'll start with that one first. So for those who've ever visited, visited Auschwitz-Birkenau, it's kind of just, you know, it's a field. You see the burnt cacti that Hamas burnt to shoot, um, you know, the festival goers. And it's a feeling that something happened here, but they, you know, grass grows back, life goes on, you know, time stops for no one. But it's different when it comes to buildings, which is what I'll explain about Kibbutz Berry. Uh, the Nova site, you feel that something happened here. You feel it in the air. Something's off, but you can't quite place it. You have a bunch of posters and posts of people that were murdered by Hamas terrorists. And you have the remains of the DJ booth. And you hear artillery, sh artillery shells being fired constantly inside of Gaza. And it's very somber. You just walk around. There's burnt patches of grass, the burnt cacti, destroyed trees. But again, it's growing back, but something doesn't feel right. You know, something something remains there, and then you can't quite put your finger on it. In the sense of Kibbutz Berri, it's, it's a whole nother story. I mean, the proof's in the pudding, as they say. Um, you know, you have the destroyed houses. You have the bears. You have the bullet holes and the grenade explosions. And it's it's a sight for sore eyes, but again, it's been cleaned up. You know, there's no there's no blood splatter. There's no they're not going to leave that around. I mean, now an average civilian can go and go to Kibbutz Berry and tour it for about fifty sixty dollars, and that pays for the the repairing Kibbutz Berry. Um, it's it's very it's night and day difference. You feel the same feeling there, but it's more visible because you see the destruction that was lit, that's laid in wake by the Hamas terrorists. Yeah, you know, um, here, as, as you well know, because you're from New York, but like people visit, you know, the World Trade Center Memorial, right? And the, the museum that I believe is next to it. And it's like, I haven't been, but you know, I, I have like loved ones that have been and they say like, it is like, there's a very somber feeling. And it's like, it can be an overwhelming and, and very emotional experience. And I imagine that in the future going to places like where the Nova Festival is held in Kibbutz Berry or it's it's going to be similar. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, growing up in New York, you know, every every um nine eleven memorial day, we would go to the nine eleven memorial. And you know, you brought it up, I did forget it, but like again, it's a somber feeling. It's something happened here. There's an eeriness in the air but you can't place it. So that's that's what I'd equate it to for those who have visited the 9-11 memorial. And that's the same feeling when you go there, you'll, you'll feel that at the Nova site and Kibbutz Berry. Yeah. Well, man, uh, do you have any any saved rounds or any any messages you want to leave with the audience? Um, I think really just, you know, do due diligence. Uh, don't listen to Al Jazeera. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's something I gotta say. I mean, do your proper research. Um, and you know, everyone has the right to their own opinion, but instead of just dismissing someone, engage in actual discourse because freedom of speech is essential. But talking out of your ass has no grounds anywhere. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people get a lot of fake news information from a lot of biased news sources. Just you know, go on Instagram. You look at you look at the the discourse between pro Israel and pro Palestinians, 
and the comments are are very you know you'll you'll just have a random post that goes free Palestine and nothing to do with Palestine, right? But I'd say just do your do your research. You know, be an adult. That's 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 all I'm asking of people, and you know you can agree with what I do, what I don't with with however you feel, and you're entitled to that opinion, and I'm entitled to mine. But at the end of the day, I'm just trying to keep my brothers and sisters safe and, you know, the right to Jewish determination in their homeland. And, uh, you know, you can check us out on Instagram, Zachi.Israel, T-Z-A-C-H-I, period, I-S-R-A-E-L. See what we're doing. You know, be nice in the comments. I'm not going to delete your hate comments because it's not a waste of time. But, you know, you can check out what we do. You know, we do great things and... We'll keep doing it, whether you like it or not. So thanks for having me. It was a really great experience to talk to you, Brody. Real, real honor. And I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. I'm glad I could have you on. And the Instagram is where people can find your your primitive website and then like ways yeah. to donate. And you guys have like merch and stuff, yeah. which like directly goes to funding your efforts and stuff like that, right? Nothing. We don't take a paycheck or anything. All our merch just goes back into buying soldiers gear. We actually have a collab with the Israeli Hockey League where you can get an, uh, some a Tzachi jersey, which is cool. Everything, you know, no one's getting a paycheck. Everything going directly to uh, to uh, the soldiers. We we had a collab once back with the American Snipers Org. You know, great guys. Um, you know, they they supported our efforts. You can scroll down on our Instagram to see that. Posted us also on their Facebook page. Um, a lot of vets support what we're doing. Um, you know, we blur all soldiers' faces and hands for security reasons. Um, but you know, you can scroll through, you see our stuff, you just see we're a bunch of regular guys. You know, we're not we're not we're not a bunch of guys in suits, we're just guys trying to do the right thing. Yeah, that's like uh, that's one thing that just fucking irks me with like the whole discourse behind this shit, you know, like whether you're like pro-Israel or like pro-Palestine, like everybody just like villainizes, not everybody, but a lot of people like villainize the side that they they don't support. And like, they're all just fucking human beings, dude. There's like regular people that for the most part, most people on either side or whatever, like they're just regular people and just want to like live their lives and, you know, raise their yeah. families or fucking pay their bills or whatever. The people just have to recognize that at the end of the day, the people that you're villainizing on either side, Palestinian or Israeli, just put put yourself in their shoes. You know, you you're struggling at work. You have a shitty boss. You have you have annoying person to deal with in your day to day life. So does everyone else. You know, just because you're six thousand miles away doesn't suddenly make you a geopolitical expert. I hate to break it to you. You know, I, I think I, sometimes people know a little more when they're living in the shit. Yeah, <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, man, I think that's uh, that's all I got for you, dude. So thank you very much for being here. I'm glad I could have you on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Fucking hey, Godspeed, man. Wish you guys uh, all the best. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks again. Okay, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And I know Hanan does as well. And thank you to him for coming on this podcast. It was great to talk to him. And thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, all your support means a lot to me. You could find this podcast on your favorite apps that include Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. We are also on Telegram under the same name. Please consider supporting us again on Patreon, Ko-Fi, or Substack. All those links can be found in the show notes below. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. That helps us out a lot as well. That is all I have for you guys right now. I will see you soon.